I don't know who needs to hear this, but we have just quietly released the first episode of our long-awaited audiobook adaption of Jane Austen's Persuasion. We've submitted it to all the usual streaming platforms, so go and search for it where you listen to podcasts to see it, to see it, to find it, to listen to it. I think that's the point. Podcasts, you don't use your eyes, you use your ears. Anyway, it's going to be available there soon, so you should go and find it um, and see if it's available yet. For more info about the podcast, visit our website, which is www.bnt.org.au. Chapter 49 Two days after Mr. Bennet's return, as Jane and Elizabeth were walking together in the shrubbery behind the house, they saw the housekeeper coming towards them, and concluding that she came to call them to their mother, went forward to meet her. But, instead of the expected summons when they approached her, she said to Miss Bennet, I beg your pardon, madam, for interrupting you, but I was in hopes you might have got some good news from town, so we took the liberty of coming to ask. What do you mean, Mrs. Hill? We have heard nothing from town. Dear madam, don't you know there is an express comva master from Mr. Gardiner? He has been here this half hour, and master has had a letter. Away ran the girls, too eager to get in, to have time for speech. They ran through the vestibule, into the breakfast room, from thence to the library. Their father was in neither, and they were on the point of seeking him upstairs with their mother, when they were met by the butler, who said, If you are looking for my master, ma'am, he is walking towards the little copse. Upon this information, they instantly passed through the hall once more and ran across the lawn after their father, who was deliberately pursuing his way towards a small wood on one side of the paddock. Jane, who was not so light nor so much in the habit of running as Elizabeth, soon lagged behind, while her sister, panting for breath, came up with him and eagerly cried out, Oh, oh Papa, what news? What news? Have you, have you heard from my uncle? Yes, I have had a letter from him by express. And well, and what news does it bring, good or bad? Huh. What is there of good to be expected? Said he, taking the letter from his pocket. But perhaps you would like to read it. Elizabeth impatiently caught it from his hand. Jane now came up. Read it aloud, for I hardly know myself what it is about. Grace Church Street, Monday, Monday August, August 2nd. 2nd. My dear brother, at last I am able to send you some tidings of my niece, and as such, upon the whole, I hope it will give you satisfaction. Soon after you left me on Saturday, I was fortunate enough to find out in what part of London they were. The particulars I reserve till we meet. It is enough to know that they are discovered. I have seen them both. Well, then it is as I always hoped. They are married. Ah, but Jane, you must wait. Elizabeth read on. I have, I have seen, seen them, them both. They are not married, and nor can I find there was any intention of being so. But if you are willing to perform the engagements which I have ventured to make on your side, I hope it will not be long before they are. All that is required of you is to assure your daughter, by settlement, her equal share of the £5,000 secured among your children after the decease of yourself and my sister. And moreover, to enter into an engagement of allowing her, during your life, £100 per annum. These are conditions which, considering everything, I have no hesitation in complying with, as far as I thought myself privileged for you. I shall send this by express, that no time may be lost in bringing me your answer. 
You will easily comprehend from these particulars that Mr. Wickham's circumstances are not so hopeless as they are generally believed to be. The world has been deceived in that respect, and I am happy to say that there will be some little money, even when all his debts are discharged, to settle on my niece in addition to her own fortune. If, as I conclude will be the case, you send me full powers to act in your name throughout the whole of this business, I will immediately give directions to Haggerston for preparing a proper settlement. There will not be the smallest occasion for your coming to town again. Therefore, stay quiet at Longbourn and depend on my diligence and care. Send back your answer as fast as you can and be careful to write explicitly. We have judged it best that my niece should be married from this house, of which I hope you will approve. She comes to us today. I shall write again as soon as anything more is determined on. Yours, Edward Gardner. Elizabeth cried out when she finished reading. Is it possible? Can it be possible that he will marry her? Wickham is not so undeserving then as we thought him. My dear father, I congratulate you. And have you answered the letter? No, but it must be done soon. Most earnestly did she then entreaty him to lose no more time before he wrote. Oh, my dear father, come back and, and write immediately. Consider how important every moment is in such a case. Let me write for you, if you dislike the trouble yourself. I dislike it very much, but it must be done. And, so saying, he turned back with them and walked towards the house. And may I ask, but... The terms, I suppose, must be complied with. Complied with? I am only ashamed if he's asking so little. And they must marry. Yet, he is such a man. Yes, yes, they must marry. There is nothing else to be done. But there are two things that I want very much to know. One is how much money your uncle has laid down to bring it about, and the other, how am I ever to pay him? Money? My uncle? What do you mean, sir? I mean that no man in his senses would marry Lydia on so slight a temptation as one hundred a year during my life, and fifty after I am gone. That is very true, though it had not occurred to me before. His debts to be discharged, and something still to remain. Oh, this must be my uncle's doings. Generous, good man. I am afraid he has distressed himself. A small sum could not do all this. No. Wickham's a fool if he takes her with a farthing less than ten thousand pounds. I should be sorry to think so ill of him in the very beginning of our relationship. Ten thousand pounds? Heaven forbid! How is half such a sum to be repaid? Mr. Bennet made no answer, and each of them, deep in thought continued silent till they reached the house. Their father then went on to the library to write, and the girls walked into the breakfast room. And they are really to be married, cried Elizabeth, as soon as they were by themselves. How strange this is. And for this, we are to be thankful that they should marry, small as is their chance of happiness, and wretched as is his character, we are forced to rejoice. Ah, oh, Lydia. I comfort myself with thinking that he certainly would not marry Lydia if he had not a single real regard for her. 
who our kind uncle has done something toward clearing him, I cannot believe that ten thousand pounds or anything like it has been advanced. He has children of his own and may have more. How could he spare half ten thousand pounds? If he were ever able to learn what Wickham's debts have been, and how much is settled on his side on our sister, we shall know exactly what Mr. Gardiner has done for them, because Wickham has not sixpence to his own. The kindness of my uncle and aunt can never be requited. Their taking her home and affording her their personal protection and countenance. Is such a sacrifice to her advantage as years of gratitude cannot enough express, Jane. By this time, she is actually with them. If such goodness does not make her miserable now, she will never deserve to be happy. Ah,、oh, what a meeting for her when she first sees my aunt! We must endeavour to forget all that has passed on either side. I hope and trust they will yet be happy. His consenting to marry her is a proof, I will believe, that he is come to a right way of thinking. Their mutual affection will steady them, and I flatter myself they will settle so quietly and live in so rational a manner as may, in time, make their past imprudence forgotten. Their conduct has been such as neither you nor I nor anybody. Can ever forget, Jane. It is useless to talk of it. It now occurred to the girls that their mother was, in all likelihood, perfectly ignorant of what had happened. They went to the library, therefore, and asked their father whether he would not wish them to make it known to her. He was writing, and without raising his head, coolly replied, "Just as you please." May we take my uncle's letter to read to her? Take whatever you like and get away. Elizabeth took the letter from his writing table, and they went upstairs together. Mary and Kitty were both with Mrs. Bennet. One communication would, therefore, do for all. After a slight preparation for good news, the letter was read aloud. Mrs. Bennet could hardly contain herself. As soon as Jane had read Mr. Gardiner's hope of Lydia's being soon married, her joy burst forth, and every following sentence added to its exuberance. She was now in an agitation as violent from delight as she had ever been fidgety from alarm and vexation. To know that her daughter would be married was enough. She was disturbed by no fear for her felicity, nor humbled by any remembrance of her misconduct. My dear, dear Lydia, this is delightful indeed. She will be married. I shall see her again. She will be married at sixteen. Oh, my good, kind brother! I knew how it would be. I knew he would manage everything. Oh, how I long to see her, and to see dear Wickham too! But the clothes, the wedding clothes, I will write to my sister Gardner about them directly. Lizzie, my dear, run down to your father and ask him how much he will give her. Stay, stay! I will go myself. Ring the bell, Kitty, for Hill. I will put on my things in a moment. My dear, dear Lydia, <laughs> how merry we shall be together when we meet! 
her eldest daughter endeavoured to give some relief to the violence of these transports by leading her thoughts to the obligations which Mr. Gardiner's behaviour laid them all under. For we must attribute this happy conclusion in a great measure to his kindness. We are persuaded that he has pledged himself to assist Mr. Wickham with money. Well, it is all very right. Who should do it but her own uncle? If he had not had a family of his own, I and my children must have had all his money, you know. And it is the first time we have ever had anything from him, except a few presents. Well, I am so happy. In a short time, I shall have a daughter married. Mrs. Wickham. Oh, how well it sounds. And she was only 16 last June. My dear Jane, I am in such a flutter that I am sure I can't write, so I will dictate and you write for me. We will settle with your father about the money afterwards, but the things should be ordered immediately. She was then proceeding to all the particulars of calico, muslin and cambric, and would shortly have dictated some very plentiful orders, had not Jane, though with some difficulty, persuaded her to wait till her father was at leisure to be consulted. One day's delay, she observed, would be of small importance, and her mother was too happy to be quite so obstinate as usual. Other schemes, too, came into her head. I will go to Meryton as soon as I am dressed and tell the good, good news to my sister Phillips. And as I come back, I can call on Lady Lucas and Mrs Long. <laughs> Kitty, run down and order the carriage. An airing would do me a great deal of good, I am sure. Girls, can I do anything for you in Meryton? Oh, here comes Hill. You called, Mum? My dear Hill, there you are. Have you heard the good news? And what news is that, Mum? Miss Lydia is going to be married. And you shall all have a bowl of punch to make merry at her wedding. <laughs> Mrs Hill began instantly to express her joy. What a wonderful thing, Mum. No doubt she shall be very happy indeed. Accept my congratulations. Tis a fine thing to be sure. Elizabeth received her congratulations among the rest, and then, sick of this folly, took refuge in her own room, that she might think with freedom. Poor Lydia's situation must, at best, be bad enough, but that it was no worse, she had need to be thankful. She felt it so, and though in looking forward, neither rational happiness nor worldly prosperity could be justly expected for her sister, in looking back to what they had feared, only two hours ago, she felt all the advantages of what they had gained. Chapter 50 Mr. Bennet had very often wished before this period of his life that instead of spending his whole income, he had laid by an annual sum for the better provision of his children and of his wife if she survived him. He now wished it more than ever. Had he done his duty in that respect, Lydia need not have been indebted to her uncle for whatever of honour or credit could now be purchased for her. The satisfaction of prevailing on one of the most worthless young men in Great Britain to be her husband might then have rested in its proper place. He was seriously concerned that a cause of so little advantage to anyone should be forwarded 
at the sole expense of his brother-in-law, and he was determined, if possible, to find out the extent of his assistance and to discharge the obligation as soon as he could. When first Mr. Bennet had married, economy was held to be perfectly useless, for of course they were to have a son. A son was to join in cutting off the entail as soon as he should be of age, and the widow and younger children would by that means be provided for. Five daughters successively entered the world, but yet the son was to come, and Mrs. Bennet, for many years after Lydia's birth, had been certain that he would. This event had at last been despaired of, but it was then too late to be saving. Mrs. Bennet had no turn for economy, and her husband's love of independence had alone prevented their exceeding their income. £5,000 was settled by marriage articles on Mrs. Bennet and the children, but in what proportions it should be divided amongst the latter depended on the will of the parents. This was one point, with regard to Lydia at least, which was now to be settled, and Mr. Bennet would have no hesitation in acceding to the proposal before him. In terms of grateful acknowledgement for the kindness of his brother, though expressed most concisely, he then delivered on paper his perfect approbation of all that was done and his willingness to fulfil the engagements that had been made for him. He had never before supposed that, could Wickham be prevailed on to marry his daughter, it would be done with so little inconvenience to himself as by the present arrangement. He would scarcely be ten pounds a year the loser by the hundred that was to be paid them, for, what with her board and pocket allowance, and the continual presence in money which passed to her through her mother's hands, Lydia's expenses had been very little within that sum. That it would be done with such trifling exertion on his side, too, was another very welcome surprise. For his wish, at present, was to have as little trouble in the business as possible. When the first transports of rage which had produced his activity in seeking her were over, he naturally returned to all his former indolence. His letter was soon dispatched, for, though dilatory in undertaking business, he was quick in its execution. He begged to know further particulars of what he was indebted to his brother, but was too angry with Lydia to send any messages to her. The good news spread quickly through the house, and, with proportionate speed, through the neighbourhood. It was born in the latter with decent philosophy. To be sure, it would have been more for the advantage of conversation had Miss Lydia Bennet come upon the town, or, as the happiest alternative, been secluded from the world in some distant farmhouse. But there was much to be talked of in marrying her, and the good-natured wishes for her well-doing, which had proceeded before from all the spiteful old ladies in Meryton, lost but a little of their spirit in this change of circumstance, because with such a husband her misery was considered certain. It was a fortnight since Mrs. Bennet had been downstairs, but on this happy day she again took her seat at the head of the table, and in spirits oppressively high. No sentiment of shame gave a damp to her triumph. The marriage of a daughter, which had been the first object of her wishes since Jane was sixteen, was now on the point of accomplishment, and her thoughts and her words ran wholly on those attendants of elegant nuptials, fine muslins, new carriages and servants. She was busily searching through the neighbourhood for a proper situation for her daughter, and without knowing or considering what their income might be, rejected many as deficient in size and importance. Hay Park might do if the Goldings could quit it. 
Or the great house at Stoke, oh, if the drawing room were larger. But Ashworth is too far off. I could not bear to have her ten miles from me. And as for Pulvis Lodge, oh, the attics are dreadful. Her husband allowed her to talk on without interruption while the servants remained. But when they had withdrawn, he said to her, Mrs. Bennet, before you take any or all of these houses for your son and daughter, let us come to a right understanding. Into one house in this neighbourhood, they shall never have admittance. I will not encourage the impudence of either by receiving them at Longbourn. A long dispute followed this declaration, but Mr. Bennet was firm. It soon led to another, and Mrs. Bennet found, with amazement and horror, that her husband would not advance a guinea to buy clothes for his daughter. He protested that she should receive from him no mark of affection whatever on the account. Mrs. Bennet could hardly comprehend it. That his anger could be carried to such a point of inconceivable resentment as to refuse his daughter a privilege without which her marriage would scarcely seem valid exceeded all she could believe possible. She was more alive to the disgrace which her want of new clothes must reflect on her daughter's nuptials than to any sense of shame at her eloping and living with Wickham a fortnight before they took place. Elizabeth was now most heartily sorry that she had, from the distress of the moment, been led to make Mr. Darcy acquainted with their fears for her sister, for since her marriage would so shortly give the proper termination to the elopement, they might hope to conceal its unfavourable beginning from all those who were not immediately on the spot. She had no fear of it spreading farther through his means. There were few people on whose secrecy she would have more confidently depended on. But, at the same time, there was no one whose knowledge of a sister's frailty would have mortified her so much, not, however, from any fear of disadvantage from it individually to herself, for at any rate, there seemed a gulf impassable between them. Had Lydia's marriage been concluded on the most honourable terms, it was not to be supposed that Mr Darcy would connect himself with a family where, to every other objection, would now be added an alliance and relationship of the nearest kind with a man whom he so justly scorned. From such a connection she could not wonder that he would shrink. The wish of procuring her regard, which she had assured herself of his feeling in Derbyshire, could not, in rational expectation, survive such a blow as this. She was humbled, she was grieved, she repented, though she hardly knew of what. She became jealous of his esteem when she could no longer hope to be benefited by it. She wanted to hear of him when there seemed the least chance of gaining intelligence. She was convinced that she could have been happy with him when it was no longer likely they should meet. What a triumph for him, as she often thought, could he know that the proposals which she had proudly spurned only four months ago would now have been most gladly and gratefully received? He was as generous, she doubted not, as the most generous of his sex, but while he was mortal there must be triumph. She began now to comprehend that he was exactly the man who in disposition and talents would most suit her. His understanding and temper, though unlike her own, would have answered all her wishes. It was a union that must have been to the advantage of both. By her ease and liveliness, his mind might have been softened, his manners improved, and from his judgment, information, and knowledge of the world, she must have received benefit of greater importance.
But no such happy marriage could now teach the admiring multitude what connubial felicity really was. A union of a different tendency and precluding the possibility of the other was soon to be formed in their family. How Wickham and Lydia were to be supported in tolerable independence, she could not imagine. But how little of permanent happiness could belong to a couple who were only brought together because their passions were stronger than their virtue, she could easily conjecture. Mr Gardiner soon wrote again to his brother. To Mr Bennet's acknowledgments, he briefly replied, with assurance of his eagerness to promote the welfare of any of his family, and concluded with entreaties that the subject might never be mentioned to him again. The principal purport of his letter was to inform them that Mr Wickham had resolved on quitting the militia. It was greatly my wish that he should do so as soon as his marriage was fixed on. And I think you will agree with me in considering the removal from that corps as highly advisable, both on his account and my niece's. It is Mr Wickham's intention to go into the regulars, and among his former friends there are still some who are able and willing to assist him in the army. He has the promise of an ensigncy in another regiment, quartered in the north. It is an advantage to have it so far from this part of the kingdom. He promises fairly, and I hope among different people, where they may each have a character to preserve, they will both be more prudent. I have written to Colonel Forster to inform him of our present arrangements and to request that he will satisfy the various creditors of Mr Wickham in and near Brighton with assurances of speedy payment for which I have pledged myself. And will you give yourself the trouble of carrying similar assurances to his creditors in Merrillton, of which I shall subjoin a list according to his information? He has given in all his debts, and I hope at least he has not deceived us. Haggerston has our directions, and all will be completed in a week. They will then join his regiment, unless they are first invited to Longbourn. And I understand from Mrs. Gardner that my niece is very desirous of seeing you all before she leaves the South. She is well and begs to be dutifully remembered to you and your mother. Yours, E. Gardner. Mr. Bennet and his daughters saw the advantages of Wickham's removal from the militia as clearly as Mr. Gardner could do. But Mrs. Bennet was not so well pleased with it. Lydia's being settled in the North, just when she had expected most pleasure and pride in her company, for she had by no means given up her plan of their residing in Hertfordshire, was a severe disappointment. And besides, it was such a pity that Lydia should be taken from a regiment where she was acquainted with everybody and had so many favourites. She is so fond of Mrs Forster. It will be quite shocking to send her away. And there are several of the young men, too, that she likes very much. The officers may not be so pleasant in this new regiment. His daughter's request, for such it might be considered, of being admitted into her family again before she set off for the North, received at first an absolute negative from Mr Bennet. But Jane and Elizabeth, who agreed in wishing, for the sake of their sister's feelings and consequence, that she should be noticed on her marriage by her parents, urged him so earnestly, yet so rationally and so mildly, to receive her and her husband at Longbourn as soon as they were married, that he was prevailed on to think as they thought and act as they wished. And their mother had the satisfaction of knowing that she would be able to show her married daughter in the neighbourhood before she was banished to the north. When Mr Bennet wrote again to his brother, therefore, he sent his permission for them to come, 
and it was settled that as soon as the ceremony was over, they should proceed to Longbourn. Elizabeth was surprised, however, that Wickham should consent to such a scheme, and, had she consulted only her own inclination, any meeting with him would have been the last object of her wishes. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ballarat National Theatre's adaption of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. If you are enjoying this podcast, you are welcome to share pictures with us. We would love to see your photos. If you've got pictures of you with merch, you just playing the podcast, anything at all, fan art. I mean, I don't know how you draw a picture of a podcast, but I would welcome fan art. Like, bring it. Uh, Hashtag Bride and Prejudice podcast if you want to share it with us because we want to see it. Or you can tag us on Instagram or Facebook or email your pictures to us if your social media is shy. Either way, send us a pic. This production is directed by Liana Skews, narrated by Olivia French, and prepared for production by Elizabeth Bradford, Olivia French, Liana Skews, and Marley Vanderbale. This episode features the voices of Olivia French as Elizabeth Bennett, Liana Skews as Jane Bennett, Tim Murphy as Mr. Gardner, Chris Hiscock as Mr. Bennett, Liz Hardiman as Mrs. Bennett, Emma Wood as Mrs. Hill, and introducing Jordan Ryan as The Butler. This podcast was produced by Ballarat National Theatre on the lands of our traditional custodians, the Wathorong people. Cast recordings were made in the lands of the Wathorong, Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Jarjarwurrung people. Sovereignty was never ceded. Ballarat National Theatre acknowledges and pays respect to our traditional custodians and to their past, present and emerging leaders. See you next episode. Can you hear that crow? Can you literally hear that crow? <laughs> <laughs> Wah. Wah.